Praise the Lord. Let our God be praised. Give him a big hand this morning. He is worthy. Come on with all your heart. Worthy of our praise. Give your neighbor a high five. Tell him you're looking good today. And thank God for, ex for uh, air conditioning, huh? Amen. Esther chapter 6. Esther chapter 6 is where we'll start. But first, let me say, I am really glad to be here this morning. A couple weeks ago, I had a little health scare uh, after the service had to go to the ER. I can only assume it was the first service crowd that did something to me, and I could no longer take it. But anyway, I went in, and of course, they hooked me up to EKGs and things, and my uh, EKG showed a little abnormality in the electrical pulses of it. They did a half a dozen. I could tell they were concerned. They're giving me nitro patches and baby aspirins and shots, and I'm thinking, whoa, this could be it. It's one thing, you know, if you break your arm, it's another thing when your heart is. Well, anyway, so they checked me in for uh, 30 hours and monitored everything, and my, uh, my EKG turned out to be just fine. I met with the cardiologist that evening, and he said he was 60, 70% sure I had some blockages, so now I'm thinking, oh, gosh, stents, surgeries, and all that. But they did the heart cath the next morning, and uh, it turned out perfect. He said, you had zero plaque in your arteries. Your heart's strong. So... Uh, I say ribs for everybody, you know, who's, who's the cook? I'm not worried. But anyway, I, I, he said, he, you know, the cardiologist said, I don't know what the symptoms were about, but I can tell you that uh, your heart's strong and it's fine. So praise the Lord. But uh, a good little pause. And how many know a pause with human frailty is not a bad thing because it makes you recognize your need for God. And uh, we thank God for good medical care, but how I many know ultimately the great physician who knows what goes behind the scenes spiritually as well. But uh, I preached to you uh, that week, I started a series called God Is. And we're talking about the nature, the attributes of God, but particularly what it means to us in everyday life, not just an abstract theology. But that week it was about the unseen hand. And if you remember, the gist of the message was that God is ultimately in control of everything. God is sovereign. He is almighty God. And He works His will. Sometimes it's difficult to understand as we see evil in the world, as we see people having free will and choices, but yet God being behind the scenes, ultimately orchestrating the affairs of life. So we went to the book of Esther. It's an interesting. It's a book that doesn't mention the name of God, but you see His footprints all over the pages of the book. The key character is, of course, Esther. She's the queen. She married a Persian king. She's a Jewish girl. She and her cousin Mordecai are there. And lo and behold, the whole thrust of the story is somehow the enemy, Satan, had inspired Haman to kill all the Jewish people. And Lord, have, Lord in His providence, had placed Esther into such a place so she could literally deliver the Jewish people. Now, the passage we'll use as a launching pad, Esther chapter 6, verse 1. On that night, the king couldn't sleep. And again, this you can see the hand of God behind this. Mind you, what's going on in the background, evil Haman, he's the vice president, he wants to hang Mordecai and kill all the Jews. And that very next morning, he's going to come to the king and ask permission. <laughs> but that night, the king couldn't sleep. And uh, he said, bring to me the book of memorable deeds... And it was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed two of the king's officers who conspired to assassinate the king. So you get the picture, Mordecai the Jew, the good guy, said, Hey, I've heard something, tells Esther, they foil the plot and the king's life is spared. Well, that night the king asked the question in the reading of the Chronicles, What honor has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? 
And the king's young men said, nothing. So here's the picture. Mordecai did a good deed and nobody noticed but God. And though God didn't reward him immediately, the, the, the gist of what we see here is that God takes notice of our good deeds and God will reward us for what we do. See, God remembers. Everybody say, God remembers. That's the title of the message this morning. And what I want you to see as we look in the pages of the Scripture, one, is, one of the nature, uh, nature attributes of God is that God sees everything that's going on on this earth. God will remember it, and one day God will repay us for both the good and the bad that happens in our lives. So I think you'll get a lot from this. Uh, let's begin Psalm 139. And I'm going to begin with the statement that God is omniscient. Now, omniscient is a theological term which simply means God is all-knowing. God is smarter than Google. And everybody said, I mean, how many know just because Google says so doesn't mean that it's always so. But God is omniscient. which simply means God knows everything, past, present, and future. The Bible portrays God as one who knows the hair on our head. God is the one that created the DNA code that made you the person that you are. Uh, God is, the scripture says, God knows every idle word that we speak. We'll give an account for it. The Bible says that God will judge the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. So God's knowing is not just by external appearance. You can't hide from God. You can't fool God. God is all-knowing. Now, the psalmist said this, Psalm 139, verse 1. He said, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. If you pause on that phrase, you have known me, what that simply means is this. God knows what I've done. He knows the words that I speak. He knows the thoughts in my mind. And He even knows the attitude behind those thoughts. It's pretty incredible. Is that God knows everything about what's going on. Uh, we know things finitely, but God is infinite and He is all-knowing. He goes on to say, You know when I sit down and when I rise up. In other words, God knows what you did in the course of your day. He knew all your activities yesterday from the time you woke up in the morning to the time you went shopping to the time you went on a date to the time you went to bed, what you watched on your television, the music you listened to, the time you read your Bible, the times that you prayed. God knew everything that went on about your day. He discerns your thoughts from afar. It says, you search out my path and my lying down and you're acquainted with all my ways. When I was a little boy, I used to think that I could pull the covers over my head and hide from the boogeyman and everything else. Can I tell you, there's nowhere to hide from God. There's nothing that He does not know about us. And notice this next phrase. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, Lord, you know it all together. As you're thinking about what to say, God knows what you're going to say in advance. It's just incredible. Now, I mean, you know, it can be really exciting if you're living a godly life or really scary if you're not. And I want to appeal to both of those emotions today. Uh, scripture goes on to say in Joe, or 1 John 3, God knows everything. Job 34 says this, the eyes of the ways of a man, uh, God, his eyes are on the ways of a man. He sees all his steps. He sees, he saw you when you came to church this morning. But he also saw you if you were involved in a drug deal last night. He saw everything about us. He knew what you did when friends were about to fight. Did you intervene and did you split them up and be a peacemaker? Or did you get right in there and say, knock, it, you know, knock him out? He knows. 
The eyes of, uh, Job says, the eye, his eyes are on the ways of a man. He sees all his steps. Proverbs says, the Lord's eyes see everything. He watches evil in good people. God knows what goes on in a church house, the White House, and the State House. God knows what's going on in the jail. He knows what's going on in Wadley Hospital today. He knows the route of every policeman that they'll take. He knows every fisherman on the lake. He knows the place they'll go. This is God. The chronicler said the Lord searches all hearts and he understands every thought and plan. And my friends, it is staggering. It will invoke two things. It will invoke a humility. It will invoke, hopefully, the fear of God. Is that God knows what I do, what I say, what I think, and the attitudes of my heart. I mean, no, all this points to a need for a Savior. When I was raised as a boy in church, I guess kind of subconsciously, I just thought that if you were more good than bad, you went to heaven. Not true. You see, you cannot sin. God cannot be in the presence of sin. And how many know it only takes one sin to make a sinner? And the Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Hence our need for the empty cross, the Savior, that our sins can be acknowledged before God and Christ can bear the penalty of our sins so we don't bear them. But the Scripture goes on to tell us, you know, that God is all-knowing. Now, there's been a lot in the news lately about uh, the NSA, National Security Administration, and, and all the electronic surveillance, all the spying that's going on, how our lives have no privacy whatsoever. Uh, drones are seeing things. They're flying over. I mean, they even have drones that look like a bug that can fly around and go in and see things. Uh, all the electronic eavesdropping. Uh, how, many, how many people have an Android phone? Let me see your hand. Yeah. Did you know your Android has a built-in program called Carrier IQ that records everything you're doing from keystrokes to telephone calls? You're not even aware it's there. iPhone has an app called Forget-Me-Not, and if that app is working, it hears not only what you do, but everything going on around you. Uh, the ABC News had a story about the FBI, and they said the FBI can listen to everything you say even when your cell phone is turned off. Off is not off. They referred to the Genovese crime family. And when they were, uh, the FBI was going after them, they found that the FBI had the ability from a remote location to activate a cell phone and turn the microphone into a listening device. So the mafiosos are sitting around the table and they turn their cell phone off because they're going to have a private conversation and the FBI was listening in. You know that Google, how do you think Google comes up with all the information? Do you know every day or every two or three days they download the entire internet on their computers? So all this information that's out there, every book that's put on the internet in a day or so, it's on Google. That's how it's able to do this so quickly. They build facilities with, with, with acres and acres and acres of computers that are continually expanding. Any private conversation you have with a friend today will be kept in federal government data banks for years to come. And this is just what technology is doing, what little bit we see. Spy satellites are able to be in the sky so far. You cannot even see them. They're up there in the nighttime if it's no smog, and you can see the stars, and you see it moving across the sky. In the daytime, it can take a picture, come on, and see a license plate on a car. Now, this is you've seen it all in movies. We talk about it. Can I tell you, this is only a small inkling of what God knows. But it gives us a sense of the power of man locking into God's omniscience. Now, having said that, though, let's get real practical. God not only knows, but the Bible teaches that God records everything we do, everything we say, and all of our thoughts. He records it in a book. 
And we're going to look at an old and two New Testament scriptures. The last book of the Old Testament, Malachi 3.16. It said, those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. So I want you to imagine you're with some friends and you're at a restaurant. Uh, you're, you're going there for lunch. Maybe you're at one of the new burger joints, Smash Burger, or the, what's the new one across the street? Move something. Yeah, isn't it amazing? So we're sitting over at Smash Burger and we're getting a burger and some fried jalapenos and we're talking about God, okay? That's what it's saying. But the scripture says, the Lord paid attention and God heard that. And what did he do? A book, say it with me, a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. So those that had a respect for God, the fear of God, those that served God, the Bible says God was watching and he's writing it down. Now, whether it's a literal book recorded that way or, or whether it's like a computer drive. Anybody outgrow your hard drive? You know, you got so many programs on it and they say the computer's still good, but you need a bigger hard drive. And what you do is you give yourself more memory. Well, well this is my hope for you in today's message is that God has to replace the hard drive that's recording the good deeds of your life. Because it's the good deeds that God will reward in life. He sees everything. He'll repay the good and the bad. But my prayer for you is you live very deliberately and consciously living a life of good work after good work after good work for the kingdom of God because God is watching. Somebody say praise the Lord. Now look, the book of Revelation, we jump to the last book of the New Testament. We see more books. Now the scene here, the book of Revelation, I saw a great white throne. And him who was seated, on the, th seated on, uh, on the throne. And this, of course, God himself. And the picture here is God is judging the entire human race. Every person that has ever lived will be there. Every one of us will be there. All your parents, all your grandparents, all your children. Mussolini will be there. Martin Luther King will be there. Booker T. Washington will be there. George Washington will be there. Julius Caesar will be there. Adam will be there. Eve will be there. Everybody will be before the great white throne. See, this is why as you live your life, there's nothing more important I can tell you, live with the end in mind. The world tells you to live for today, have fun, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we're going to die. Burger King taught us have it your way, you know, 30 years ago. But I'm telling you, if you live with the end in mind, you'll be prepared. And that won't be a great day of sorrow, but a great day of joy. So we're all standing before this great white throne of God. And what does it say? Books were opened. Books, plural. Suggesting that God had recorded everything about the lives of this sea of humanity. And the cool news is another book was opened, the book of life. Because I can tell you like this, I, there's been pages of the book of my life that I wouldn't want you to know. Don't look so holy, Joe, at me right now. Some of you got sold chapters. Some of you wrote a chapter this week. No perfect folks here, okay? But, ooh, but this is a good thing. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, listen, he's thrown into the lake of fire. It may not be popular in today's pop theology, but hell is a real place. It goes on to say, friends, these, uh, the dead, I'm sorry, verse 14, were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. So God is recording these things. God sees, God knows. You know, the cool thing is, is that when you were kind to a hurting person, God saw that. 
I don't know if angels were, I don't know how it happens. But somehow God has an app <laughs> and God records it. And when you showed kindness to somebody, God watched that. When there was a fight going on and people were about to whack each other and you became a peacemaker, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, God took notice of that. When you helped a poor person, when you gave somebody something that was rightfully, you gave them some money, you gave them a service for free, you just blessed them, God took notice of that if you did in the name of the Lord. God notices when you give. God notices when you share. God notices when you pray. God hears every prayer that you pray. And isn't that the coolest thing? Whether it's a long prayer, whether it's a prayer prayed in church, the prayers prayed around the altar, the prayers even thought in your mind, God takes notice of these things. And the Bible says the coolest thing, one day He's going to reward you. Now, I don't know how it's going to happen, but, but could it just be possible that God might read the, the, the story of our lives and He's going to reward us for those good things? But let me say this too. It's recorded when you cheated on the exam. It's recorded when you looked at pornography. It's recorded when you had an affair. It's recorded when you lied. Hence, it behooves all of us because that book will hold us guilty. The most basic teaching of salvation eternity is this. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. If you are a, quote, really good person and you've got this much good and that much bad, it's the bad that separates you from God. It only takes one sin to make a sinner. And Jesus came to forgive the sin of all of us. But it is the cross of Christ where Jesus took our place on Judgment Day. That when the book is open for John Miller and Satan, the accuser of the brethren, is there, Jesus will be paid in full across my page. That's what Christ has done. And I want you to hear me today. I, I went to church much of my growing up years, but I can honestly say today, I do not believe my book was in the, my name was in the book of life. Your name is written in the book of life when you become a follower of Jesus Christ. Shaking the preacher's hand does no good. Joining a church knows no good. What does good, friend, is when you surrender your life to Christ and say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I want to follow you. I need your forgiveness. Come on. Not just to add to my religious journey, but I want you to be the center of my life. That could happen to you today. It happened to me on August 15th, 1976. A long time ago. You say, how do you know that? I was there. I'd gone to church all my life, but that day, from the depth of my heart, I said, Jesus, I need you, and I want to give you my life. Now, I've not been perfect every day on the journey, but I've never lost sight of my Savior. The book of life, there's nothing more important. The, the, the book of Romans talks about this as well. Romans chapter 2, verse 6. It says, God will, say it with me, repay each person according to what they have done. You say, where does forgiveness come into play? I'm not fully certain about that. I'm just telling you it's in the Bible. God is a forgiving God, but there is something that the fear of God needs to grab me on. He'll repay each person according to what they've done. And then the two contrasts. To those who by persistence in doing good, in other words, consistently living the Christian life, falling over but getting back on again and living it again, Persist in doing good. They're seeking glory, honor, and immortality. He's going to give what? Eternal life. Now look at the contrast. Those who are self-seeking, who live in their own way, doing their own thing, who reject the truth and follow evil, what happens to them? Wrath and anger. 
It could be no more simple than this. God will repay on that great day for those that followed God eternal life and those that rejected Him a real place called hell. It's all in the book, good or bad. It's scary or exciting. Now, the next two weeks, Lord willing, I want to talk to you. I want to contrast two very what, uh, distinct natures of God. Next week, Lord willing, I'll talk to you about the God of love, the God of mercy, the God of favor, the God of forgiveness which is the dominant part of who he is. But then there's a flip side, just like the nickel has a head and a tail, God is also a just God. God is a vindictive God. God is a God of wrath for those that fully reject him. We'll talk about that. You cannot just have this side without this side. God is loving, but he is just. And we'll continue to talk about it and what it means to us. But today I want to spend the next few minutes talking about God rewarding us for the good things we do about God seeing your good works, or what the Bible calls them, and about how God rewards you in this earth and the one to come. Uh, Ephesians 2.10, and let me just say this. God remembers our good works, and He'll reward us, because we're not just to be believers, but we're to live a life of good works. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's handiwork, and say it with me, we are created in Christ Jesus to... So we're created to do good works, which God's prepared in advance for us to do. So here's the question, what are those good works? Well, I'll give you one clear example. Today, as we're here, we've got about a dozen of our church members in a place called Adugu, Africa. It is an island off the coast, and it's 15,000 or so Muslims. And they are building the first church on that island. Is this not the coolest thing? They'll use it as a community center, but it's going to be a church. There's Christians that are there, and uh, they went to help build this church building. Now, that's a cool thing. Can you imagine it took them four or I think maybe five days to get there? Starting with American airplanes, ending up with a canoe floating down the river. Can you imagine sleeping with six or seven other people in a tent sleeping on the ground? Come on, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I'm. So what is that? It's a good work. It's an adventure, but it is a good work. We had someone draw the plans for the church. What was that? A good work. We had people give money to, for the trip. What was that? A good work. You give Bibles in this, go money for Bibles, and we bought 100 Bibles. What is that? It's a good work. And you see, this is the Christian life, not just believing, but it's these good works. Now, Jesus talked about this, Matthew 6. Jesus is going to give us an example of three that are representative. But Jesus said this, Jesus said, and, and he's talking now, uh, comparing it to the Pharisees who were hypocrites. In other words, they did good things so other people could see. They did it for an outward, which is going to tell us God can judge the motivation of my heart. God can see my attitude, not just what I do, but why I do it. Matthew 6 says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For if that's your motivation, you're going to have no reward from your Father in heaven. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing, so your giving may be in secret. And then what's it say? Your Father who sees in secret... Now, there's a consistent theme, Old and New Testament. When Paul went out on his preaching journey, the, Jewish, or the, the, the Jews, the, the apostles said, we just want you to make sure you remember the poor. 
Matthew 25 on Judgment Day, Jesus is going to say, Hey, look, I saw you when you fed those that were hungry, clothed those that were naked, visited those that were in prison, took care of those that were sick. For whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. So here, the first mentioned good work is what we do for other people. And then he goes to say in verse 6, the second one, When you pray... Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father in secret. Now, he's not excluding public prayer. There's other examples of public group prayer in the Scripture. But what he's saying is, don't just pray so other people can hear. He said, do it with the right motivation and attitude. And your Father who is in secret will do what? Your Father will reward you. And then verse 16, when you fast... Don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. So your fasting may be seen by others, but by your Father in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will. Now, isn't that the coolest thing? I don't believe this is a, co a, a comprehensive or finite list, but these are examples of good works that all of us can do. We can help other people. The second great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself whenever you practice it. Whenever you had an opportunity to enrich yourself, but you chose to bless someone in the name of the Lord, it's a good work and God saw it. Every prayer you pray, God hears your prayer, whether it's a lengthy prayer or a short prayer that you just mentioned during the day. God hears your prayer. How about when you share your faith with someone? How about when, uh, when, when Brooke shared with us how she shared her faith with a guy that was struggling in life, and he said, could you show me how to turn my cup over so I can receive God's love? That's a good work. You see, the Bible says, he who wins souls is wise. The group that went to Montana, I guarantee you, that wasn't just a fun trip. That's a long drive. And they went to a, 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 the orphanage in, on the Indian Reservation in three different villages, unloading that bus and rubbing shoulders. It's hard work, but what else is it? It's a, a good work. Victor's taken people for years to the homeless shelter, and they feed in the homeless shelter. And I guarantee you, God watches the chicken that's prepared, the chicken that's bought. He watches the people that go. He watches them as they serve. He watches them when they mix in the crowd. He watches them when they pray for people. He watches them when they go pick somebody up and bring them to church. God remembers because these are what? Good works. And this is my hope for you, is that your life will be one that's rich in good works because God notices now, let me give you one more example here. We're going to close in prayer. It's the man Nehemiah, and I'll tell this kind of conversationally. Nehemiah was a guy that uh, had an easy job and could have lived an easy life. He was what's called the king's cupbearer. Again, same kind of time frame as the book of Esther. He's serving the Persian king, and all he did basically was to have to, you know, well, your job is to drink wine and make sure it's not poisonous. I mean, would like that job. Come on. I'm not sure after the first glass. I might need to taste another one. All right. That was his job. It was pretty easy. But guess this what he heard. He heard, he asked someone, he was a Jew. And the Jews had gone back to rebuild their temple that was destroyed during the exile. And they had gone and they had, you know, worked at it, but they hadn't finished. And somebody back came back. Now stay with me on this one. They came back and said, what's going on there? And, and, and he basically said, look, it's a mess. They didn't get finished. They don't have a wall around the thing. There's no protection. They're not really practicing the laws of God. It's a mess. And the Bible said this so affected this man that he decided to do something about it. Now, here's the application. America is in trouble. Listen to me, students. Your school is in trouble. Your college campus is in trouble. 
People all around Texarkana, there is trouble. Have the big fireworks in the park, sparks in the park, and the next day you read an editorial from a gal who says, look, I saw some gang members. They were running in the woods. They were fighting. There were guns. I heard people talking about pulling caps. I mean, listen, America is in trouble right here. And you can do something about it. We are part of the solution to what's going on in America. Washington is not our solution. Come on. Austin is not our solution. Uh, 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 Little Rock is not our solution. Come on. Jesus is the solution for America. But Jesus is not just sending angels to do it. We are the ones that do the work. And that's what, you know, when we work together in our, in our, you know, we talked about the ministry God, signing up, being a part this fall. That's the way you do it. It's as easy as it can be. Just come a couple of Wednesdays, join the church, and if you're right with God and living right, get after it. We'll make it easy and we'll work together. Well, anyway, Nehemiah goes and he gets the wall built and things are going well. But here's how chapter 13 ends, and I want you to listen to three phrases in the story. When Nehemiah goes back to check things out after a period of time, he sees once again it was going really good when he left, and now it's starting to go downhill again. And the first thing he sees, he comes in the temple, and he sees they've hired a heathen to work in the temple. His name is Tobiah. That was a no-no. And he also sees the Levites that were supposed to work there had quit and gone back to the fields because the people had quit tithing to support those that worked in the temple. And he said, we've got to do something about this. So he got rid of the one guy, and then he called the Levites back in. He got the people paying for the work of God, and he set it in order. And they're going to put on the screen the words of Nehemiah after he said that. He said, and say this with me, Remember this good deed, O God, and don't forget all I've faithfully done for the temple of God and its services. But it didn't stop there. The very next verse, it talks about, then he looked on the Sabbath day. The Saturday was the holy day. Friday evening to Saturday evening, a holy day. No work was to be done. But it looked just like Texarkana, excluding uh, Chick-fil-A on Sunday. I mean, it looked like that. They were making money. And he said, look, this is an assault against God. It's a holy day to God. We should not be doing this on God's holy day. And he put a stop to it. And what he did, because you see, he had gained some authority by that point, but he stopped the practice that was going on. He did something. And notice what he said after he did this. He said, Remember me, God, concerning this, and spare me according to the greatness of your mercy. But it only, didn't only happen twice. It happened three times. Then he starts making some inquiries, and then he sees that once again, Jewish people are marrying non-Jewish people. Now, it might not be a big deal today, but in their day, they were called to racial purity because Jesus Christ would come through the line of the Jewish people. They were the chosen race. And it was a boundary God had set up about who they could marry. And in this boundary, my friends, what would happen, they'd marry these cute pagan girls, but they would bring their idolatrous ways, and they would lead them back into idolatry. And he jumped right in the middle of that. And he said, listen, what we're doing is wrong. We've got to stop this because we're the people of God. Notice what he said, the last verse of the book of Nehemiah. Say it with me. And can I tell you, that's the way you and I should be living every day of our life. Living in such a way when either opportunity or need is before us that we do good works as our hand allows us to do so we can make a difference in this world for Christ. Because God is watching, He's remembering, and He'll repay. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. I'm going to close with one last verse. It's Galatians chapter 6. And it's simply this. Don't get tired of doing what is good. You know, it's easy to sit in church and say, live a life of good works. When you get out in the world, though, it gets pretty difficult. Listen to what Paul said. Paul said, don't get tired of doing what is good. 
For at just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessings if we don't give up. And can I tell you, for every Christian in this room, including myself, the great challenge is to not give up when life becomes difficult or distracting. Take a peek on the screen just a second. I'm going to show you a picture. That picture is about, I'm guessing, 13 years ago. A few little boys there. One of them is my son on the left. He's probably, I don't know, what do you think there? 10, 11, 12. We used to go down there, and, and uh, he's 25 now. The man on the far left, I believe, is the pastor in that little church. That was a church that's as far away from civilization as I've ever been in my life. We drove, I think, three or four hours south of Monterey, and then we went down a dirt road about an hour and a half in the middle of nowhere, and there was a little town and a little village. Out of that village, they've sent, last I heard, over six preachers have gone out from there. Guy in the green shirt, his name is Moises, or Pastor Moses. He was an apostle in Mexico till he met an untimely death, planting and overseeing hundreds of churches. But the guy I want to talk about for just a moment is the guy that we recognize, Larry Myers. I bring him down here every December to honor him for what work he does there as a missionary. Larry, he looks the same today to me, but he's, Larry's in his late 70s. He's had a couple strokes. I mean, no, Mexico is not the place to have stroke. Comes back, goes up to the Mayo Clinic, they give him some medicine, keeps going. Well, he came to see me just a few days ago when I was, when I was down a little bit. And uh, uh, we talked about his life. Now, if there's anyone that would have the right to just sit on the porch, come on, drinking Christian margaritas, I mean. You know, sit on the porch, have fun, enjoy life. That's non-alcoholic margaritas, okay? But if there's anyone, his wife, she has a heart condition. If anyone that had a right to just stay home and full-time and dote on her, it'd be them. And then he started talking to me about what he's doing. He said, Pastor, I'm building more churches now than I've ever built before. He said, I can't get on the roof because I've lost my equilibrium. But he said, I'm going down there. We're building more churches than we've ever built before. You see, they're, they're building churches among the Mayan Indians. Uh, whole villages are coming to Christ. I mean, it's incredible what God's been doing there. And I thought, just a second. Mom, this is why I bring him, because I like older guys that have gone before me and are still living for God. And I listened to his life, and he's just given himself to good works. He said, I, I'm, I'm going to die somewhere. I might as well die serving the Lord. Then I look at my little wife battling with cancer. Very easy for her to just say, give me one more little pill there, and thank God for doctors and pills. It would be very easy for her to just say, you know what, I'm going to kind of check out for six months and kind of get over this thing. But you see her little testimonies that she puts up. You read her blog, you know, and uh, it's not always rosy. She goes in for her last chemo tomorrow, say a little prayer for her, and uh, thank God for that. She's got some radiation after that, but uh, she said this morning, she said, oh, i got to take that steroid pill today, and I just don't like it. But yet she keeps up and she's planning a missions trip to Thailand. And she writes on that blog to minister to people. Why do we do that? Good works. We love God. And we're not trying to just get the trophy. But we love Him and we want to invest our life in something that matters for eternity. And that's my prayer for you today. It's my prayer that God's going to have to get another book so he can add more pages of things that you're doing, good works for the kingdom of God. And I want to tell you, friends, if up to this point your book has been a bad book, just throw it away. Because forgiveness can wash it away and give you a brand new start. You might have had some wasted time, but redeem the time from now on. There's times in life, and I want to say this to you. I realize many of us in the room today, as of late, there's not been much written in our book 
for good works. And that doesn't mean you're evil. It doesn't mean you're bad. It could just mean that you're tired. I'm going to say this. It's time to take a rest sometimes. But you don't want to rest forever. It's time to rest. They made me stay home. My wife and staff all became doctors last week and said, you're not coming to the office. So, you know, I, I, I took a little extra rest. And I thought to myself, it'd be pretty easy to just do this. And I'm not here because I need a job or a paycheck. I'm here because I'm called and I love God and I love you. But maybe you've kind of, your good works have kind of minimized because you've gotten too busy. I mean, no, everybody needs a job and everybody needs money. But at some point, if the God box gets too small because all the other boxes are too big, something's out of whack. Maybe you've gotten disappointed. Maybe you felt like God let you down. Or maybe people let you down and you just kind of coast. I see people all the time, good people, that have served the Lord for decades and they just kind of got wore out by the nuts in the house of God. Listen, friend, let today be a season of your life to start afresh. Let today be an opportunity for the Holy Spirit maybe to nudge you towards a new life of good works because it'll matter for eternity. I want you to bow your heads a minute and we're going to have a little prayer before we go. But I just want you to ask the question, say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me about my life? What's going to be written in my book on that great day? Is it going to be an exciting day or a sad day? Speak to me, Lord. Thank you, God. Well, Lord, on behalf of all of my friends today, every one of us wants to be remembered for good works. Every one of us, Lord, wants to have a life that's free from distraction and junk and all the stuff but we need you to help us. And I just want to surrender myself to you. Lord, my hands are lifted as a sacrifice of praise. Saying, I just want to surrender my life afresh to you. And I want to live a life that matters. Not because I have to, but because I want to. And I just give you the right, Lord, to change my heart. And make me in the person that you want me to be. Welcome, Holy Spirit. I want you to just surrender afresh to God right now. Every believer in this room. Say, Lord, I want you to take complete control of my life. And I don't want to fight it. I don't want it to be a burden or something I have to do. But I want my heart to get behind it. I want to be as in love with you on Monday as I am on Sunday. I want my Tuesdays and my Tuesday nights to reflect, Lord, your glory. I want, Lord, my relationship with you to determine the TV I'm watching, the movies I'm going to, the people that I'm seeing, the places I'm going. I, what I'm doing with my money, Lord. What, what am I doing with my time? I want my life to be caught up with you. But Lord, I'm going to start by saying I'm selfish. And I got a God box that may not be big enough. So I want to knock down the walls of that God box. And I want Jesus to be the most important person in my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this is a great day here. We're going to do this again, Lord willing. Next week you bring a friend and we'll continue talking about God is. Wednesday night, of course, we have that, uh, what we're having, this service right here. I mean, it's really great on Wednesday nights, but connect class. And if you're new in the church, if you want to lead a ministry, come Wednesday night at 6.30. And we're also doing the Spirit-Filled Life class. So if you've missed that, be here. But I want to close with one last prayer. If you're here today, we'll sing one last song. In just two or three minutes, you'll be able to be dismissed. But I know after every message that God, when God speaks to a person, there's a need to respond. 
It's like if somebody said, uh, hey, I want to give you a job, you'll make twice as much money and you'll work half the hours, uh, what do you want to do? How many know you need to respond? Well, if the Holy Spirit has tugged on your heart about something, maybe you've been honest enough to look at the pages of your life and, and there's something missing and you need to commit your life afresh to Christ. Maybe your life is so complicated you just don't quite know how to do it. Maybe it's a hard issue. I don't know what it is, but if it's in your life or maybe somebody you really care about and you see that they're wasting their life and they're living a, they're living a lie, we'll pray for them as well. But the most important group we'd like to pray for this morning are people that may not be sure if their name's written in the book of life. There's nothing more important. And can I tell you, you don't get your name written in the book of life by going to church, by shaking the preacher's hand. You get your name written in the book of life by surrendering your life to Christ by turning to follow Him, by receiving Him as the Lord and Savior of your life, where somehow God comes and God works a change. So your Christianity is not just rules, but it's a real relationship with a loving God. That can start for you today. If you'd like for someone to talk to you about this, to pray for you and make a commitment to Christ, or maybe you've gotten away and you've really felt God's presence here and you want to renew your commitment, we'd be honored to pray with you. So we'll sing it one last time. Pastor Nick, why don't you lead in worship? Our prayer team is going to come right now for, to pray with you. They'll slip on out of the chairs, and if you want prayer for anything, just come on up and join us. Prayer team is coming now for prayer. And if there's anything pulling you to take just a moment with God, you come and let us pray for you. I love you very much. We'll see you next week. Come let us pray for you, church. Every eye.